right, see what can you start us off with a word of prayer, please? Yes, I'll be honored. Father in heaven, everything that we do, we want you to be glorified. Uh, we acknowledge our ability to do so is lacking apart from the power of your spirit and the work of Christ in our heart. So for that, we're thankful. We're grateful that you open our eyes to see the glory of the gospel of your son. But also, Father, in these times, you, you hem us in and our theological boundaries are still intact because of your gracious mercy in our lives. As we approach this topic, we recognize the issues before us and the problems that are there. But Christ is still king and rules over his church, and he is the king of all creation. We also want to address these issues, Father, without assassinating anyone's character, praying that you will bring them to repentance so that they can see that this is a grievous error. We will not refrain from speaking the truth in love, Lord, to politicize the situation or patronize anyone for our allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. We also remember that when the apostle Peter uh, was not in step with the gospel that Paul confronted his hypocrisy because he would have had a profound effect in the life of the church in Galatia who are already vacillating. What a world we live in today where men and women are unsure of Christ. How much more sure should the church be in mm. these times? Let us hold fast to the head who's the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, throughout this conversation, may it be meaningful, enabled by your spirit, profitable, honorable, praiseworthy, but may Christ be set supremely above all as we have this conversation. In his name I pray, and for your glory and the good of the church, amen. This is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. This is the third part in the series of the conversations with Seymour Helliger of Grace Community Church in Long Beach, California. Along talking with him is, uh, of course, our beloved pastor, Matt White from Bellcroft Bible Church. So thanks for tuning in, and here we go with part three of the conversation. Good door. Let, let's, let, let, sorry, sorry. You, you and Matt never give brief, brief answers. I just want to put that out there. I just want to make <laughs> sure thought, that we establish that you, first. You are, you you are brothers. I'll give you. You're brothers in Christ. You are brothers in, uh, uh, it's like a fraternity that y'all have that came from Master's University or Master's oh, Seminary. Wow. That's funny. You never give brief answers. I just want to make sure I, I, I made that will, point. Okay, no, sorry. I will give you a brief answer, buddy, with a long explanation. <laughs> that Yeah, that sounds more like it. That, that yeah. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I think, in a, I think just in a, a very fundamental level, the way I see it is that whenever we allow liberal preachers or pastors to gain ex access to our platforms, that's Amen. usually the beginning of that process. Amen. So you look over the years, especially at the T4G, the Gospel Coalition Conference. Yep. I'm not trying to be intensely critical, but I want to just realize that their, their, their liberal approaches to some of these pastors' philosophy of, of, of social structures, hierarchy, and how to address it. And 
what some of them fail to realize is that what they've learned at the universities has affected them. Mm. And they, they did not run those lessons for the good of scripture because they experienced some of those hardships as, as men of, um, of uh, African-American ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Then you couple that with the experience and it almost validates it. You almost have a gnostic type of thing. Yep. I've experienced this thing in ways that you haven't, so you can't speak on it. That's gnosticism. The ethnic, ethnic gnosticism. It's that ethnic, Ver- it's ethnic gnosticism. You, you can't speak that at issue because you haven't experienced it. And plus, we have to set the definition because only we know it. Hmm. So when you, when you allow preachers with liberal views to enter your pulpit and they say, well, hey, you know, I'm a five-pointer. No, you have to say you can be a nine pointer, brother, but that point that you have there is divisive. So we can't give you the platform, but we can meet for lunch, we can meet for coffee. They <laughs> enter the platform, brothers. And when they whenever we bring them to the table, we have susceptible susceptible saints, weaker saints, younger saints who, who are guilted over those things. So I think a part of the issue is that we have allowed them to have a platform with us. And and of course then dominations like the SBC. And because they have a platform, they have access. And they have been pushing this agenda uh, for the last few years. So this is not something over now. So that's my that's my quick answer, long explanation. That was actually shorter than I thought it was going to be. As the, <laughs> as the pulpit goes, so go the people. That's it, brother. That's it. If we don't, I mean, you, told, you see Paul. Paul said, Timothy, guard. Yep. It's almost as if he's begging him. Guard what happens. Timothy, please. Yep. Please guard the deposit that's been given to you. Yeah, yeah. people are going to want to put their trash in it, but, but please guard the deposit. There's only one gospel. There's only one Christ. There's only one core, core source of the doctrine. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy guarded. He says, oh, Timothy. Yep. I mean, I can just see the pleading in his voice as he's about to depart this world. And that's oh. what's happening right now. You see, if you don't guard the doctrine, this is what happens. Yeah, I mean, look, his final words, right? His final, his swan song. Final words tend to be the most important words. And he tells them, world's going to get worse and worse. It's going to be wicked people, but stay with the scriptures. Preach Amen. the word, Timothy. Amen. Don't stop. And then he even tells them, people are going to say they want more. They want you to do something else. They want you to get involved in social justice, <laughs> Timothy. Don't do it. Preach the word, right? They'll find preachers who itch, itch their ears, but... No, it's, it, it is amazing because of the simplicity, the simplicity of ministry by way of our commission. It really is, right? Matthew 28 is very simple and clear. It's complex and it's, and it's confounding because it's, it's, beyond, it's beyond our ability, right? It's, it, without the divine blessing of the Spirit of God, we're, we're done. But what God has called us to do is not save the world, right? In the sense of change the, save the whales change the planet, remake social structure. No, just preach the word, disciple, evangelize, shepherd. That's it. That's it. Love our Amen. wives, love our children, raise godly, raise godly children, be faithful to our governing authorities. I mean, it's, it's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. And yet the modern church has lost its way and it's breaking. I know it's breaking my heart as I'm watching it happening in our community. And it's going to leave a, uh, like um, um, in the in the second great awakening, right? Same same kind of deal. We're driven by social emotionalism, right? Driven by the yeah. needs of man, like you said, putting the needs of man. And Charles Finney, right, left a wake, a burned out wake. Called it the burned over districts, man. Especially <laughs> yeah, in so true, 
in Oberlin, you know, Ohio, and just left. It's still there today. We've got people in our in our church from from that section of New York that say it's still like that today, where it's just a vacuum, where it's just completely devoid of sound doctrine, and it's still a mess from Finney. And uh, he did he did it then, and here we are. So can you explain that though? I, I don't I missed that part. I know who, I've heard of Charles Finney, but what do you, what do you mean? About. So he he created or instigated essentially false conversions based upon emotionalism, right? So he pulled at heartstrings, and instead of preaching biblical repentance and true uh, conversion that led to holy living, it was all an emotional instigated uh, reality. And then what happened was, so people for you know I you know I'm, I'm using this hyperbolically, but this is exactly what happened. So people would walk the aisle, right? Because he mm-hmm. essentially invented the the altar call and the kneeling bench. And so he would prey on people's emotions, just exactly what's going on in the church right now, because all kinds of pastors are preying on emotions, telling people, you're not doing enough, you're guilty, you need to get involved, you need to get in political activism. And people are, but it ain't going to last. It ain't going to go anywhere, right? It isn't going to do anything for society and it's only going to damage them spiritually. So Charles Finney did that. And then what happened? People ran down the aisle. And two weeks later, they were they were more drunk in the in the uh, bars than they were before Charles Finney came. And that's why they called a burned over district where, where it literally after he preached and the emotions were settled down, it left the whole region burned over to where there was no spiritual life in it. And people were inoculated. They literally were inoculated to the gospel because they'd already done it. I walked the aisle. It didn't work. Now I'm just, I'm going back to my my drinking, going back to my thieving, going back to my, and that was the that was the uh, those were the negative results of the second great awakening and the, on the on the you know unbiblical side. So yeah, and that's what we're seeing now. So so all of this is going to end with all of these people burned over. Where it's not going to work. They're going to end up being frustrated. They're going to be more angry. They're going to be more divisive. They've rejected the truth. They've been rejected by Black Lives Matter, and it's just going to leave a wake in its in its path. And it's it's really sad to watch it. I never knew that. I, I mean, I've heard of Charles Finney, but I never knew that that's what he was doing. And to think how many services I've sat in where the pastor would say, "Hey, you know, if if you need prayer or if you want to." Except Christ, I see that hand. You know that that's what they do. Or, or come forward. You know, come come on down and, and and come to the altar. And oh man, that's crazy. Now I got to I'm just writing stuff down. I just need to read about and 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 study that you all have been saying here, uh, back and forth. As far as like a conclusion to, or, can I, can are I, we can allowed to conclude? To the, go ahead. Wait, go can ahead. I can I take them back to the trail? We can't conclude because he was on a good trail. He was on a good trail. Well. Okay, okay. So go, let's go back to the trail. But there's one other thing that I need to ask him about, and I need to write it down so I don't forget. But go All ahead. All right. So uh, the trail you were on about an hour ago, and you were you were you were barking up a tree. That was good, brother. So you were talking. You were about ready to talk about John Flavel, Flavel and you were talking about John Flavel, and this is what you were talking about. You were talking about the wickedness of man, and the reality that uh, you and I, and because Buddy's never heard this before, you and I are no different than, than the police officer that put his neck 
on the uh, or put his knee on the neck of George Floyd. That's where you were at. And so, now, are you back on the trail? I got it. All right, man. Yeah, I'm back on the trail. Run yeah. with it. Yeah, um, because there there's several critical implications to seeing that um, theologically. First of all, it helps us understand original sin. That doctrine is essential to the gospel. Amen. Um, that's that 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 is a, an essential part to reconciliation according to Romans chapter five. If there's no understanding of our our sin nature and its origin, and that we sin in and with Adam, then there's really no need for a savior to save us from our sins. Because another part of that too is that the the, the correlation now is the new original sin is is uh, either slavery or oppression, which has tremendous implication in seeing who the sinner really is. Yeah. And the sinner is no longer myself or George Floyd, but the sinner is, is Chauvin and those who look like him. Yep. So there's no all have sinned to fall short of God's glory. There's no all our sin have sinned on the Adam. That is why, brothers, the class and the categories affect us. When you have classes of people, black, white, and then you have this Marxist ideology here trying to mix in with the gospel, you don't know, you see what we have, right? Yep. You really don't have all have sinned. Nope. You have the only real sinners are the quote white people, and who we have no is, who have no hope of salvation. Of, of course, there's no hope for you guys. You have you've yeah. committed original sin and you can't be saved. Yeah. So the gospel gone unless you well once something that was said earlier unless you do something which we didn't actually touch on and that's the yeah. other thing that we're going on unless yep. you do something so it's no longer repentance, it's penance. Yep. Uh, it's 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 no longer original sin in the sense of what happened in the garden has affected us. We all have inherited a sin nature and there's no cure for that apart from Christ. It's, it's sins related to activity and doing, it's Marxist yep. at its root. And so when we march with these people as Christians and we're holding up our signs and we're saying BLM, I said this before and I make no apologies. The phrase and the movement are married. It's the only monogamous relationship they really actually have and they're faithful in. <laughs> is is the phrase and the movement itself is a real marriage. I mean, they're yep. married and you they're they're inseparable. It's purposeful. Now, some people say, well, uh, I can say the phrase and not the movement. Actually, the, theologically, you can't because it's a classing of society that right. is anti-scripture, and you're saying a, a class is inferior to another, and another class is, is superior. And now our class is saying that because you guys have done this, there's no cure for your sin unless you do something. That works against the gospel. Yep. So every time we preach, we have to preach, do something. Instead of preaching what Christ has done for us, what we could not do. Yep. Even though the law, as great as the law was, Paul says in Romans 8, the law, weak as it was, right? Because of our sin, Christ condemned our sin on the cross. So if we are going to go on these trails of, of looking at George Chauvin correctly, his knee is my knee, brothers. His horrific sin is my horrific sin. His anger is my anger. His hostility is my hostility. And the man on the floor, right? And underground, George Floyd, the tragic death, suffered under the knee of another man, just like me, Yep. had it not been for the grace of God. The gospel compels us to see justice and mercy. And to extend it to its logical conclusion theologically. I pray that God will exercise justice in the court of law through the lawyers and the, the system that we have established in America for those reasons. 
But brothers, I pray that God will show mercy to those who are alive, including George Chauvin, and save him by his grace and rescue him from his own perdition. That to me is a theological conclusion. But if I were to say justice without mercy, I have failed to look at the cross of Jesus Christ correctly and realize that at the cross, it is not just mercy, but justice meets mercy. And the righteous demands that God had for my sin are met on the cross. Why would I not want the same righteous demand for George Chauvin, who's just like me, human and created in the image of God? When we have these unbiblical categories, we don't go to the gospel. We go to vengeance. We go to violence. And if we don't want to remember, Karl Marx said that because there's injustice around and exploitation, that there will be a need for protest, rebellion, and revolution in society. End quote. And that was from Dennis, uh, Dennis Dennison in his book on Karl Marx that what we see in society is vengeance, not anger or frustration, not even mourning, because people who mourn have no strength to even pick up a fork and eat. Sometimes when people are in deep mourning, they can't even eat. This is not mourning, brothers. This is bitterness and vengeance and hate. It That's comes from right. the very root of the sin of our heart. And the only cure is the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for the knee of George Chauvin in his heart. And the other perpetrator are cops who complied with his acts. But what I see, brothers, as I said before, the proper conclusion theologically for us, brothers, is to see justice and mercy because that's the cross of Jesus Christ. And we pray that God will redeem and save those who are alive, including George. What, what a marvelous miracle of grace. Would it not be that God saves a George Chauvin like he saves wretches like us? I mean, who are we, brothers, to say that we're better than them? That's the classic Pharisee. For those who recognize their sinfulness, man, will not call for justice like that without calling for mercy. Those are true men of God and women of God who knows what it means to look at the cross of Jesus Christ and realize what God has done for them. Amen. Amen. Buddy. Yeah. What do you got? Uh I I I got a lot of uh a lot of information out of that. That's what I got. And uh You ever I'm, heard that before? You ever heard that before, buddy? I've I've I have heard that before. Uh from a from this pastor from West Virginia. Specifically talking about what happened when he looked at the the terrorists of 9-11 and he said that by God's grace, only by God's grace am I not one of those guys that are in those airplanes. Uh, yeah, so I have heard that before, but I haven't, I can't say that I haven't heard it explained in that way. Um, I, I have heard it explained in a, uh, a very lengthy discourse, just like, uh, he just gave because that's what Matt. It's it's obvious. It's obvious that you all uh, have a lot of truth, and I'm very grateful that you all are not stingy in sharing that truth. Um, and this, I'm I'm telling you, this is probably this is probably going to be three podcasts because of just the length of it. Um, I didn't even realize that we were that much over an hour uh, until I just looked at it just now, and I'm like, wow. Um, but I guarantee that because there was a question that I had that we just never talked about. Um, it's going to come to me. I'm trying to stall a little bit so it'll come back to me. But I thought uh, you're going to write it down originally. I did, yeah. but then I, I started listening and I forgot to write it down. So, yeah, it's <laughs> we just going to have to do this again. It's just how it is. You have to do it again, I guess. But OK, so what? How how do we conclude this? Like, I would imagine that you would say that we uh as a as a as the body of Christ as a true body of Christ need to make sure that the people that are in the pulpit are uh 
you know, faithfully expositing the word of God and also preaching uh, on the subject of sin uh, carefully and uh, lovingly um, to make sure that the the, the sheep uh, do not uh, are not led astray by uh, the, the winds of doctrines that they they really want to hear, but are given the, the food that is needed that they need. Um, I would imagine that how how else would we be able to conclude a, a conversation, a heavy conversation like this one? Yeah, I think, well, you know, brothers, I'm go sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I want my I want the guest. Maybe he called maybe he called your name. And I was just thinking about the question nope. what I needed to say. But um, I was really my mind goes back to the text I've been preaching the last few months. And it's Ephesians chapter one. And the reason why it does is because in that context, there's several social concerns, right? There's a social concern about the society that they live in. You know, if you, you read Acts uh, chapter 19, they burn quite a few books yep. in Ephesus. Uh, that, that bonfire resonated in the city. That's not a local fire. <laughs> that, that has a Roman fireman ready to put the, put the fire out because it's a big one. Yeah. Um, you, you then you, you're marked by society. And so you saw the persecution. So, they were recognized by their neighbors, by civic leaders. They were also recognized by, by the idol manufacturers. You had this social tension there. You also had the relationship tension in Ephesians between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was the chief hostility historically, according to the scriptures. There has been no human hostility greater than that between the Jews and the Gentiles. You even see that happening in, in Israel with the Palestinian uh, groups. And so you see the tension there that nations have with, with the nation of Israel. But within that, that dichotomy, you have Jews. Yeah, you're going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles who hate you. And then in the providence of God, you're going to get along with them. How is that even possible? Well, you get to the third part of this issue. And it is that you have a problem in, in how reconciling ourselves to God is even possible. Because it's not. That is true. But knowing my history and the gods I've served in the past, how is it possible for this God to love me? Mm. The gods I've served in the past, I couldn't pacify them. I didn't even know if they were pacified, so I had to keep buying books every year to, to, to keep up to speed with them. <laughs> I had to learn novel social actions to, to know how to, to appease this God. How is it possible? Well, Paul didn't say, look, I've, I've got some social reparations for you. This is what we're going to do to resolve all these problems. We're going to go to the local city officials and say, you've got to fix this social issue. We're marginalized. There's prejudice going on. You got to go to the Jews and say, Jews, you've got to be better towards us because it's the right thing to do. You're in our neighborhood. No, Paul says, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Amen. And what stood out tantamount, supreme above all, is that you're united with Christ and you have fellowship with the Father. Mm. You'll have complete access, complete fellowship, a right of fellowship that never changes. And then God in his power, miraculous power, unites hostile people together and says, eat meals together, break bread together, practice to one another's together, pray for one another, speak the truth of God to one another. You get to chapter four of Ephesians and what are they doing? They're speaking the truth in, in love or truthing in love. How is it possible for two people groups at hostility to each other with, with each other. How is it possible for a city that is attacking the church? How is it possible for people to have peace? It's because the peace himself is with them, Jesus Christ. Paul did not give them anything once again but the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was the joy of the Christian's life. 
So even if we try to find novel ideas that says, well, that's not enough, the reason why we don't believe it's enough is that we simply have a problem believing that what God says is true. Amen. But when the church in Ephesus laid a hold of that truth, beloved brothers, I believe that that transformed their view of God, that God grants them total access, total fellowship because of Christ. They have communion with him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, never, never severed. Yes, the fellowship can be affected by their sin, but it can never be lost because it has been gained for them in Christ. They also have peace with the Jews. A hostile people are eating together, enjoying life together in Christ in ways that society itself cannot legislate. So to my point is this, when a church is biblically consistent in its preaching and its practice, historically, it has always had an impact on society without even thinking about it. Amen. The church in the past didn't have to think about helping society, it just built hospitals because it was always serving its people. The church didn't have to think about educating the society because it would train its children and its young people in society wanted to part of that. The church has always been the catalyst because whenever the church preached what it practiced and practiced what it preached, it had an effect not only the local congregation, but the community around it. Amen. When we reverse the process, we wipe ourselves out. Yep. So it still goes back to enjoying the blessings we have in Christ, being Christ-like, practicing the one another's, caring for each other, loving each other, praying for each other. That has a spillover effect into the community. And people always think about revivals. Revivals never start outside the church. It can't. <laughs> revivals start within the church. And people outside the church who are unbelievers don't need to be don't need to be revived. They need to be regenerated. Amen. <laughs> Revival in the church has an effect on society. When the church is awakened, the world begins to look and take notice. Amen. We do that, brothers. We blend into society. We have no effect. But when we are practicing these things according to the word of God, like Ephesians and Colossians and just emulating our Savior, it's it has a tremendous impact in society. Never looked Amen. at Ephesians like Ephesians one like that. Um, and here's the reason why Matt has been pre uh, teaching uh, the men's Bible study on glory glorification. And I have been looking through the, 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 the sunglasses of glorification into that uh, that passage. But now it's it's, a, it's like a completely different view on it. And uh, I love that. You know, I, I love and I got to read through it again now with a different viewpoint because I'm looking for the glory. I'm looking for the, that future glory. Uh, but now, yeah, I got to read it again to go through and see that. So that fu the future, that future glory is certainly there. Right. Yeah. Um, as it is in every passage. Mm -hmm. But I think I, I brought that up, especially last week, to help the congregation see that we prepare for the future glory in this present world. That's right. And we're, we're dealing with these issues, not on a, not on a, a social economic level, but on a vertical level. Mm -hmm. That everything that we do in response to the world has to do with our relationship with God. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Amen. So Matt, praise the Lord. Matt, how, how would you conclude this, uh, this conversation and, and what, what things are you, would you point to that we definitely need to take away from this conversation? Uh, yeah, I, Speaking to the church, I would just say we can't lose sight of our calling, right? I mean, that's the the issue. We can't be distracted. That's always been a that's always been an issue for the church, right? Always been an issue throughout the New Testament, getting distracted uh, by what's going on in the world. That's why John says, right, talks about the love of the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and these these attractions of the world. That's why Paul told Timothy, "Do not get entangled in civilian affairs." Right. And uh, that's where um, Alexander and Hymenaeus. Right. The, you know, they they abandoned the faith because they they even John, John Mark. Right. Even early, 
early on in his right. ministry, right? I mean, you see this re reality. Um, and so the world, the world has always been attacking the church and the world will always attack the church, whether it's, uh, um, directly or, or undermining, and it's always going to seek to pull us away, right? Cause Satan can't destroy the church, but he can distract it. And he's a Good master. Point. He's a master at distracting the church. And oftentimes he distracts the church by that which is is oftentimes partially good, right? Satan rarely tries to lure you by that which is fully evil. Even the sins that we're often tempted by uh, aren't necessarily evil in at their core. They're just pushed beyond the bounds that God said is right, mm -hmm. right? And so Satan knows that. And so this whole idea of wanting to fix that which is wrong is a good thing. We want that. The church wants that. Any, any normal human being, and clearly every truly regenerate person, wants to see um, injustice uh, rectified, wants to, to see partiality eviscerated, wants to see all sin done away with, all wrongs right. So there's that right sense that's there. But the reality is, until the King of Kings returns— and brings perfect justice with him until he's ruling and reigning from Jerusalem with a rod of iron. And until that happens, we know there will not be perfect justice. We know that there will not be peace on earth until the Prince of Peace returns and the government's on his shoulders, right? Until that happens, um, we have to have not an over-realized eschatology. We have a, we got to have a future, a, a future perspective on our eschatology and know that we're not there yet, and we pray for that to come, as John did, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And while we, as Seymour said so clearly, while we don't abandon the world, but we infiltrate it, not with, not with political activism, but with godly preaching of the gospel. That's what we're called to do, and that's what the church is always called to do. And we do that with quiet, peaceable, faithful lives, godly living. I think godly living is the core to our calling as we live in a wicked world. We just love our wives. We love our children. We're not pacifists. I'm not talking about becoming Amish. That's not it at all. That's, that's, right. sin as, that's sinful as, as well. Right. Yet we're not political activists. One thing we didn't bring up, but that's, that is Marxist terminology, activism, right? Activism is. Is, is classic Marxist um, um, terminology where you've got to you've got to infiltrate and be in political activism for the purpose of revolution, right? That's where the whole French Revolution and all that was driven by, and the church is being sucked into that. We're not political activists. Yes, we're involved in politics as a job. That's a glorious job, and we need Christians Amen. in there doing yes. that and writing and and helping defend laws and writing good laws. No different than we need good doctors and good. And good school teachers and and uh, good salesmen. There you go, buddy. I mean, we 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 need that, right? Yes. Yet yes. at the end of the day, what we need more than anything is just for people to live their lives submitted to the scriptures, committed to the Lord, faithfully loving their wives, faithfully loving their children, as Seymour said, faithfully committed to their church, and faithfully looking for the Lord to return, living their life in the fear of the Lord, knowing that today could be the day, and I'm going to live my life for his glory, not my, not my gain. And uh, so I end, for me, we end all of this with Seymour kind of 
pointed us in this direction because it's the right one. The issue at the end of the day with all of this comes down to worship. All of this is driven by the worship of man. Man is doing this whole system, all of this, tearing down statues and re deconstructing everything to reconstruct it. It's all about the worship of man. It's Romans chapter 1 all over again. Man makes God in his own image, and that's what we're seeing, and the church is beginning to do that. And I say we leave it right where we need it to be, which is we need to worship God. It's all about the worship of God. All of life is worship. All of ministry is worship. Everything we do is worship. The question is, who are we going to worship? And it, we need to be worshiping the one true holy God in brokenness, in humility, in fear, and in awe of his amazing grace, his awesome mercy, and his holy vengeance that is going to bring pure justice. And when that comes, it's not going to be a pretty sight. And uh, so that's where we end it. So the church, we worship. We worship like, like there's no tomorrow because we have a God who is worth all worship. We have a God who's given us Christ. We have a God who's taken our sin away. We have a God who's given us hope. We have a God who's written the beginning from the end. We have a God who's called us out of, out of the darkness and into the light. And uh, we never stop worshiping. And so no matter if all hell breaks on around us, we worship. Like Paul and Silas in the jail cell at midnight, we worship. If I'm, if I'm discriminated against, I worship. Because in the end, I'm only getting what I deserve anyway. And so if I'm... If I'm put on, if I'm if I'm put on a, a a stick to be burned, I worship, right? May I burn brightly for the Lord, right? If my head's put on a chopping chop, chopping block, I worship. I mean, that's that's it. That was the early church, that was the faithful church in the Reformation. That needs to be the faithful church today, and uh, we need to keep our eyes on Christ, get our eyes off of ourselves, get our eyes off the world, and then give the world something to look at. The world Amen. wants nothing to do with the church because the church is no different than the world. When the, when the world starts seeing the church on fire for the Lord, and how will they see that? One word, holiness. That's what they'll see. When they see that, then we'll make an impact on the world. It's not through political activism because the Marxists will try to do that. Sorry. Amen, brother. Amen. That's good. I, um, I'm I'm overwhelmed with the amount of information that I have from uh, this podcast. I'm I'm really appreciating it. Seymour, uh, you are the guest here today, so there's something that I need you to do before we leave. Uh, <laughs> I need you to uh, give me the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, brothers, before the gospel comes, the news that we all need to know, right? Paul says in Romans one verse sixteen, he said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel." But is a power of God into salvation to those who believe. It's to the Greek first, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, the just shall live by faith. But Paul then begins to elaborate on the human condition. Why do we need the good news? Because something has gone horribly wrong. And it stems back from Genesis chapter 3 and, and Adam's transgression, his willful rebellion against God's word. And because of his willful rebellion, he plummeted humanity into sin. We've all inherited the sin nature. There's no way to work this off. You're born with it. It's a part of who you are. It's a very fabric, the very essence of your existence now. It marred the image of God, which we should enjoy. And now we pursue idols, images of self. 
we've also become violators of God's law. Uh, the, the stealing, the, the thoughts, the lusting, those sinful desires stem from a nature that is corrupt and cannot be rehabilitated, cannot be mentally cleansed. There's no hope within man for man. The hope must come from outside of him because we're corrupt and our nature is sinful from the inside. The outward expression is just a revelation of the inward corruption. And so there's a great need for man to be born again. He must be delivered from the sin because not only is he with the sin nature, but the wrath of God. Paul says the wrath of God is revealed to mankind, all humanity. There is not one person in this world who doesn't face the wrath of God unless they turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is no hope for man in his deeds, his works, because not only is he sinful in his nature, but also the wrath of God abides against him. Reminded in Ephesians, it says that we're we're children of wrath by nature. It's something we're born with. We're born we're born enemies as we're sworn enemies. As we're born enemies and alienated from God, we're sworn enemies by our sin. And our sin reveals that we are hostile toward God. The problem is not good. And that is why the scripture says all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And in fact, you can extend that truth to say all have sinned and continue to fall short of God's glory. Because the falling short is the standard of humanity. The standard of every human being is to fall short of God's divine expectation. So we're guilty. We have a problem. Romans chapter 3 says that we all are guilty before God. No one seeks after God. Uh, we've all turned away from God. So we're fugitives running from the God who we should run to, but because of our sin, we run from him. And Paul says that we all silence before God in his courtroom. We're all held guilty and liable for our sins. Uh, but then the good news is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, truly God, truly man who preexisted with the Father before the foundation of the world in his glory and the very image of divine nature of God, he came to earth and took on human nature and became God incarnate, truly God, truly man. It was necessary for him to live a perfect life for us, but he also demonstrated to us what it means to be in fellowship with the Father, something that we cannot do because of our sin. Through his perfect life, but also his passive, willing sacrifice on the cross that he offered himself up as a sacrifice for sinners in order that he may reconcile us to God and to atone for the breach of hostility between humanity and their creator, Christ sacrificed himself for sinners so that they may receive the forgiveness of sin. Well, Paul speaks so greatly about this truth because he said, because of Christ, God can, listen, he can justify the ungodly who has faith in him. This instrument of faith that we take is almost like a rope that you tie into the life rafter. There's, there's no real life in the faith apart from the one object of that faith. And because Christ is the object of our faith and his work is the object of our faith, God rescues the perishing sinner who's recklessly out of this life wrapped on his own. Romans chapter one is for all of us. Uh, the difference between myself and the person who's immorally corrupt, that homosexual has nothing to do with my, my wiring or just my DNA. I am no different from that homosexual if God doesn't exercise restraint and rescue me from my sinfulness. So we're all in that predicament in Romans chapter one. We're all guilty. It's just that our sins are not extreme as others, but yet it is simple before God. That is why we need the mercy of the Lord through Jesus Christ. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to sacrifice for us. And here's what we tell the sinner. You're guilty before God. We've given you the law. It's true. God is holy. God is righteous. You are not. Christ was sent by God and Christ offered himself up and took on human form in order that he may live a perfect life for you and die a perfect sacrifice for you. Here's the thing. You must repent. That is to do 180, turn from your sin, abandon all hope in self, abandon all hope in your self-righteousness. You're never righteous enough for God. 
because you were born as a sinner, so you were born at a disadvantage. You grew into being a sinner. You didn't grow to be a better person. You grew to be a vile sinner because God's standard is just that perfect. If you're not absolutely perfect according to God's absolutely perfect law and God's infinite holy character, you're absolutely guilty in every front. You're guilty of all sin, of all of the law. So therefore, there is no hope for you apart from Christ. Turn from your sin. Don't be deceived. Don't ever think that the world's standard of righteousness will land and, and in some way of shape or form that God will count your good deeds and your goods will outweigh your bad deeds. That's not the issue. The issue is not just your deeds. The issue is that even the deeds that you do are not for the glory of God. Therefore, you need a, you need a mediator. You need a sacrifice. And that sacrifice is the Lord Jesus Christ. Please turn away from your sin. Cry out to God. Repent. Cry out to God. Trust in him as Savior and Lord. Call upon God to save you and cast yourself at the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acknowledge that you are the sinner in need of the only Savior, and that is Jesus Christ, and that God sent him to be a sacrifice for you and to rescue you from the coming wrath and to restore you and to grant to you a fellowship with him that is eternal. And in giving you eternal life, forgiveness of sin, you have fellowship with God now and into eternity. And you can truly live the way that God has intended for you to live in this earthly life as you prepare for the coming of the Savior. Turn from your sin. In fact, Word of God reminds us, when it comes to the wicked, there's no peace for the wicked. You will be in turmoil, and I pray that you'll be in turmoil. I pray that God, through this preaching of the gospel, will convict your conscience so deeply that you cannot rest at night, that you cannot sleep that night, that your daytime is filled with so much anguish and worry and fret until you come to a place of absolute brokenness and humility and acknowledge your need to be transformed by the grace of God and redeemed because you are the sinner that God sent Christ to save. And unless you repent and believe in the gospel, you too will perish. But because God is faithful, you hear the preaching of the gospel over and over again. And as a pastor, we never assume that the listener saved. We beseech and we beg of every human being to be reconciled to God. We're not called to be presumptuous men. We're not called to be men of assumption. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ. And so we beseech to you to be reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I be saved? <laughs> I want to be saved again after that. I just wanted that to leave. I wanted to leave a little bit of uh, dead space because that right there, you could just probably put that on just by itself, just a, just a podcast by itself. Because yeah, that that is a clear explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, wow, okay, Pastor Seymour, I am grateful that you came and and took your time out to to come and talk to us, man. I mean, this has been a true blessing. Uh, for me, Matt, I would imagine for you as well. Um, yeah. This has been a, uh, a a boatload of information given, but uh, more than anything, uh, the truth has spoken uh, in this. And we have just really just given you the the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've given you God's word and a lot of things to think about. Please, if you have any questions, please email us at the truth talks podcast at gmail dot com. Pastor Seymour, where uh, I know we mentioned before the Pastor Soapbox is your podcast, uh, Google Play, Spotify, and on iTunes. How else would anyone be able to reach you as well? And give give your church website, all that, all okay. that info, where your yeah. sermons are located. Mm -hmm. The church's the church's website is graceoflongbeach.org, graceoflongbeach.org. 
We're also on uh, Sermon Audio. Our sermons are also on Sermon Audio, and we also have the app, GCCLB, on your Android or your iOS devices, iOS devices. So you can find our GCCLB app there as well, and our sermons are on the church app. Awesome. Awesome. Highly, highly recommend listening. Well, brothers, thank you for having me. It was a blessing. Um, I'm normally more talkative on this, but I got linked up with another preacher, and so it got quite explosive, but I was richly blessed. Brothers, uh, thank you, Matt. Thank you, buddy, for the time. Uh, I'm grateful to the Lord for the opportunity to do so. Do so. I cannot. I cannot believe what I just heard. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, this has been great, man. Um, you you definitely. I definitely need you to talk more than next time if that's the case. Because yeah, because that was that was unimpressive if you said that you don't talk much. I, I, yeah, I, I'm not impressed if you say you don't talk much. Thank you all. My, my podcast, my podcast is more conversational. This one was not. It was more preachy, but it was it was a blessing. I, I, well, I, I don't know. I think your podcast is very preachy. You by yourself, <laughs> you by yourself, and you just going for it. And I'm just like, yeah. And you know, here's the funny part too. I only listen to podcasts on time and a half, so it's like 1.5 speed. So oh, okay. I, I do that so that I can like you know listen to more podcasts. But I caught so much of what you're saying, but I had to hit that hit that backwards button to 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 listen again on a lot of that stuff. It was definitely preaching uh, conversations. I can't. You you should have Matt on your podcast one time, and uh, you probably gonna have to split it into into three or four different podcasts. Just like I'm gonna have to do this one. But yeah, easy. That's, no, no doubt, no doubt. We're gonna have to split it up into a few. Yeah, there's no doubt. Because yeah. this, but 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 here's <laughs> here's here's the thing, and I, I've said this to Matt so many times is, you know, I've I've been under preaching that has just been fluff. That has, you know, it's just been nothing. Like it's a lot of talking, you know, a lot of slogans basically, and uh, uh, Christian TED talks is what I like to call them. Mm. Um, but this has been, and what I've heard from from obviously my own pastor Matt, and then uh, what I got to listen to on your sermons now is just just unadulterated, just the word of God being spoken, uh, and then um, <laughs> you know it's funny. Matt, when he when he preaches, to to sit and write all of the scriptures that he mentions in his sermon is completely impossible. Like it's a good thing that they're written down because you have to go back and write down. So he'll say one sentence and then he'll say four scriptures. You can find that in this. 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 And it's like, man, like I need to. The the transcripts are, are probably the most helpful thing because then at least I can go and and take a look at it. But when when it's that way, it's like this is not me saying this. This is the scripture. I'm literally just repeating what the scripture is. And that uh, th this is the way I'm ending the podcast. My conclusion is that is what is missing in the pulpits. And, you know, it's it's you know, it's uh, uh, give me a shirt that says theology is missing in our pulpits. Mm -hmm. And I'll wear that because that is and I'm speaking generally in the pulpit that 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 my pastor's in. It is not missing. It is the only thing. You know, you can move Matt aside and the person that is speaking there, you know, has been entrusted to give scripture and, and to make sure that scripture and, and, and right theology is what's coming from there. Um, but I just want to say I, I'm very appreciative of both of you uh, taking the time out to 
disciple me uh, in in a lot of these areas and pretty much just give me a history lesson. You know, I, a lot of stuff that I just was unaware of, uh, even in my younger years where I was black and proud. Um, now I am uh, I'm ma- more mature and educated and, and well, p- put Christian before that. And that's Christian, more mature and educated now. So I'm, I'm appreciative of that. Thank Please you all. Go. Yeah. Here, awesome. Thank you all for tuning in today uh, to the Truth Talks podcast. And we hope to see you next time. Take care. Thanks for tuning in today. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the Truth Talks Podcast. And visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.